On this episode, we're talking about why anybody would buy a $100 ice cream cone, what makes American-style pizza a top choice for delivery around the world, and the inextricable link between our food and our culture. I talked to food expert Ken Higman, and now I'm just really hungry. You're listening to Where We Buy, the show about the things we buy and the places we buy them. My name is James Cook, and I research retail and real estate for JLL. I recently got a copy of this report, and I just couldn't put it down. It's about global mega food trends. Um, All kinds of interesting stuff, like dinertainment, which is the mixing of good quality food with entertainment, like movies or bowling. There's another one called Universe, Y-O-U, Universe, the desire to be seen by others as special or unique, Um, like Instagramming your visits to some cool pop-up restaurant, you know, in order to cause your friends serious FOMO. So this report has eight food megatrends in all, and right away I wanted to know more about it. So I made a long-distance call to my friend in the UK, Ken Higman. Ken is a part of the team that wrote the report. I'm an associate director in the food service consulting team here at JNL. We're based in London, um, but and in fact, the last count, we have worked in 56 countries. Um, so we're actually based just outside London. I can pretty much see Heathrow Airport from the window I'm looking out of right now. Um, And that's because we spend most of our time elsewhere. So on Monday this week, we had, I was in Brussels, we had guys in Madrid, we had guys in Stockholm. Um, And bear in mind, there's only 12 of us. Culture is built around food. Our lives are built around food. All our key moments in our lives are built around food, whether that's the birth of a new child, the death of a relative, when we get married or, or, you know, whatever that's called in any given culture. Food plays an integral part in all of that stuff. Um, so, and, it, and it differs from place to place, not just from country to country, but from regions within countries and, and, and cities within, within countries. You go to the wrong, or you order the wrong type of beer in, in, in a Bavarian pub in Germany. If you order, order a dark beer in a Bavarian pub, they're going to look at you funny because that's not the beer you drink in, in, in Bavaria. So getting, da- getting down and understanding all these different types of food cultures in each place that we work is, is critical. Part of our job is to get outside, walk the streets, and, and see what's happening in food world. It's a pretty good job. I asked Ken to tell me about how robots and technology are going to change the industry. And he said we should expect really big changes. He told me an example of a robot that he met in San Francisco that made a pretty mean cup of coffee. It was a, it was a robotic barista. You know, you, you go up and, and essentially it's, it's not much more than a vending machine, but there's a robotic arm doing all the work and, and, and creating this coffee from scratch. Um, so you push your button on an iPad and you, you order it, um, and, and then it will create the coffee for you. But it's, it's, it's obviously barista-made, so it's the same quality as, as, a, as, a, as a, you know, the guy with the, the beard and the leather apron doing it for you. Um, uh, uh, you know, but, but it's just a, a robotic arm. And, and there, at the moment, there's this element of theatre about watching these robots do these things. Um, so, you know, 
at the moment you can build it into your service system and say, come and check this out. It's a marketing tool at the moment. But, but going forward, it's going to be much more than that. It's going to be the standard operational model. Um, and that's going, to, that's going to have impacts all over the place. Um, at, at, certainly at the faster food level, at the, the more convenience-led food level, um, you know, you're, there's going to be a reduction in need for people, and that's not always a great thing. It's certainly not always a popular thing. Um, but also it's going, to, it's going to heighten the discrepancy between convenience consumption-led food service where actually all I want is a coffee and just give me my coffee and experiential stuff where, you know, talking to the server, talking to the waiter um, is, is part of your experience. Letting them guide you in menu choices, letting them entertain you is part of the experience. And, and there's going to be a real, real break between is this a robotic service, is this completely automated, or is this actually more experiential? Maybe the more high-end um, restaurants will be the places where you'll where everything will continue to be done by humans, but maybe the 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 QSR and the fast casual might have some robots in front or back of the house. You know, as, as we all know, to our to to to, to our cost of, of of industry and manufacturing, robotics cost less than people. They can they can work longer, and you know all, all the things that we know. So I think it will have to be that way. Um, I went to a a really cool kind of um, just below Michelin star gastro pub style restaurant the other day, um, and we had a really nice meal. Me and my my, my partner um, and and enjoyed it, and the waiter was was really nice. And then we went to the bar afterwards for a cocktail, and we just got chatting to the to the barman, um, and you know he was so passionate, so enthusiastic about what he did. They brewed their own gins on site. They distilled their own gins on site. He was he was making a cocktail, and we kind of looked at him and said, "Oh, what are you doing?" And and they, you know the floodgates exploded. Um, and he he went into detail about what he was doing. He made us two or three different cocktails to try. He said, "Come back to come to the back of house." He he walked me around the the distilling area and the kitchen and showed me all the different botanicals that he used in distilling their own gin. And and from a from a nice experience in the meal, and it was, it was a really nice meal. It went to one of the best food experience I, I, experiences I, I'd ever had because of this guy's enthusiasm, because of his passion for the subject. And clearly that's something a robot's never going to be able to give, but it's also an, an, an expensive experience. I, I see in your report one of the trends you guys identify as dinertainment. Is that, is that what dinertainment is? I think that's part of it, but dinertainment's more where food is an element of your overall experience. Um, you know, dinertainment is about the, the bowling alleys who do really great food alongside it, and, and they're not just your standard bowling alley. It's kind of better laid out. It's more fun. The, the, the places where there's, you know, 30 ping pong tables. I don't know, do you call it ping pong in the, in the U.S., or is it table tennis? Um, both, but ping pong is more popular. Yeah. So, so, um, uh, and where they, where they do that leisure element, but there's elements of food in it as well. So dinertainment is, is about blending two experiences together of which food is a part. So you're there for dinner, but you're also there for something more. There's a, a, a chain here in the U S I'm not sure if it's outside of the U S called top golf, um, which, which is like. Um, it's a multi-story, multi-levels of driving ranges that are set up like bowling alleys, 
but the, they have great food and beverage, which is just icing on the cake. And, and I think the Top Golf, so I think they did have one over in the UK as well. So it's, it is a driving range, but it's not, again, it's not your standard driving range, is it? They've got different games you can play. Um, and, and you can aim at you know, different flags, score different points, and it's competition element, and it's, it's very much something to be experienced as a, as a group. So it's interesting we talk about this kind of growing bifurcation where, on the one hand, you've got inexpensive um, dining experiences, on, and on, on the other hand, you know, for the, for the true kind of remarkable experience, um, it, it costs a bit more money. And uh, I see here in your report, you've got something called snobmodities. Is that how you say it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We we uh, we had some fun um, naming these uh, kind of uh, trends, and it's it's only when you realise you have to go and talk to other people about it that you realise how how silly you sound when you say some of these words. A lot of people, particularly you know the middle classes, the mass market people, eat out so often that they're looking for something more. They're, you know, they're looking for something different. And, and you know, the, the upper classes who have that money to spend want to be able to say, yeah, I had a $100 ice cream um, and it had gold flakes on it. And I'll, they're not just going to have it. You know, they're not going to have it and then hide it away and never tell anyone. The whole point of, of doing anything luxurious like that often is, not always, but often is purely to be able to go and tell people about it. Um, so there is an element of, of um, conspicuous consumption about some of those things where you're not just enjoying it, you're telling people about it. And when I say telling people about it, it's not just having a conversation about it. It's putting it out there on social media um, in particular um, and, and, and letting the whole world know about it and letting the whole world know that you're cooler than they are and you're more in tre on trend than they are. Um, and having a better time and a better life generally than they are. What's up with this hundred dollar ice cream? Where where do you get that? Where do you get a hundred dollar ice cream? <laughs> yeah, uh, it was. I'm pretty sure it was Harrods, uh, which which is probably isn't surprising when you hear about it. They have a an ice creamery in in Harrods, or maybe it's one of the other top department stores. Um, and it is. It's you know it's it's a great ice cream, and it has. I think it was flecks of diamond on the top or something uber ridiculous like that you know and it, i mean it, it, it has to be literally no one's no one's doing that because it tastes nice are they not there isn't an ice cream in the world that tastes 99 dollars. it has to be something more than that it doesn't always have to be price it can be it can be an invite only luxury meal it can be um you know being a member of the right club or or, or being aware enough on social media or you know in the know enough that you know when uh, a pop-up restaurant or pop-up, the best pop-up burger place is going to be in your town. So you make sure you're there. So it's not always about price. Often it's about price because that's probably the easiest uh, factor that operators can, can use to differentiate uh, their product. But time, time exclusivity is also an element of it. The opposite of having the great experience is getting you know food quickly. And I know you guys talk about food on demand. How has... How have things like food delivery and new apps uh, changed the food scene? It's the fact that we are able to and want to, as consumers, eat anywhere and everywhere. And, and we don't just want to eat for fuel. We want it to be good. You know, just because I'm in a station, a train station, or just because I'm in an airport or a stadium doesn't mean I suddenly want to 
to to drop down a level in terms of what I'm eating. Um, so all of these places now have to provide the same quality of food service that I can find on the high street. HMS Host have just uh, started at Schiphol Airport um, doing a kind of delivery service so that before you get on the plane, you can have food from one of the operators in the airport delivered to your gate so you don't have to go to that restaurant anymore because you might not have time. I suppose food is one of the last places where you still often have to go, um, particularly in Europe, not so much in the US. You can get a lot of food delivered in the US. Delivery is still relatively relatively new in the in the UK and Europe, for certainly for better quality food. Okay, we've had pizza has been able to be delivered for years and years and years, but beyond that, you have fairly low quality uh, Asian food can be delivered, and that's that was pretty much our food delivery market up until three years ago when Deliveroo kind of came onto the scene in London, and are now expanding across across the provincial cities of the UK and the rest of Europe. And, and now we're able to get all the interesting food delivered, and the quality food that is able to be delivered now is is um, is much more important. And, and for landlords, you know, when we're looking at this in terms of landlords. Well, it's it's a blessing and a curse in terms of this delivery element because we need to look at how restaurants are designed now. Restaurant design is changing because there is as much emphasis on serving food for delivery as there is for serving food for, for, for the people in my restaurant. Um, so I need rear entrances that the delivery drivers can come through because we don't want them, you know, all lycra up and sweaty walking down the middle of a retail now, that's not going to improve anyone's experience. Um, so, you know, we want them to come to our restaurant back doors and take deliveries there, but not all restaurants have back doors, so, so design needs to be to be changed. And also, you know, food was seen as, as the kind of the silver bullet, you know, as long as we've got a good food offer, then footfall will continue, but actually, because it couldn't be delivered, but now food can be delivered. So, you know, landlords need to look again at beyond food and, and a bit like dinertainment, looking beyond just refueling and food as an experience. The new prevalence of, of third party food delivery apps like in the U.S. we have, for example, Uber, Uber Eats, you know, um, I don't see them as big of a threat because when I've had food delivered from a restaurant that I really like, it's been in that delivery, it's been sitting for 30 minutes before I get it. So it's not fresh out of the kitchen. And really for me, dining out is about 50% just the experience of dining out. <laughs> so my, I, I don't really enjoy getting uh, food delivered because it, it, it doesn't feel fresh or fun to me. I completely agree. And, and there's, there's the freshness. So from an operator perspective, you know, talk to a lot of operators who are a kind of you know, menu design now has to go beyond, okay, this is our, we're designing our product and we have to hit this GP and, you know, it has to be, we have to be able to make it in this amount of time and, and, and so on and so forth. Now they have to say, and what's it going to look like after it's been in a box for 20 minutes on the back of someone's bike? You know, how are we going to, so, so menu development has to improve. At the moment, we're in the world of you're ordering food that's been designed to be served on a plate in a restaurant all we're really doing is putting it in a box and, and, and riding it to you on a bike. Whereas menu development now has to be about how are we going to create that fresh taste at home. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I don't think you'll ever be able to 
do it completely, but I think operators need to get a lot better because it doesn't sell your brand well. Because you, let's say you, you know, you, you've ordered your favorite dish that you, you've been into this restaurant three, four, five times and you've ordered it and it's been great. And then you order it from delivery and it's not very good. Well, it's going to put you off going back actually. You're going to say, oh, is it, as good? you know, did I just have a bad one or was it because it was delivered that it was bad? I don't know. So you, it's, it's giving a bad impression of the brand. So they need to, they need to look at that and, and work out how that works. And there will be certain products that deliver well. And there will be other products that don't deliver well. You know, why have American-style pizzas with those thick bases been the staple of delivery for a long time? Because they hold their heat well. Yeah, if you get a proper Italian pizza with a really thin crust, it's cold within five minutes because it's so thin. It just doesn't have the, the density. So chemically or physically, it just doesn't hold heat as well as a nice, thick Domino's, Pizza Hut, Papa John-style American thick base. That's why they've dominated the delivery market, because the product delivers really easily. It doesn't lose its quality to the same degree as a lot of other products. One of the things I really enjoy about going out and having a meal um, is people watching. That's why I love my job, because I get to spend my time watching, watching other people live their lives. And, you know, you'll sit there and have a gossip about yeah, what's that person over there wearing? God, I can't believe they're together. That's weird, isn't it? Who are they? Well, you know, oh, and you know, and you're watching other food come out, and you're going, oh, that looks, that looks really good. Maybe I'll try that then next time. You know, all those kind of things blend, blend into that experience, and it's why eating out will always be something that we want to do over and above um, getting it delivered in, because there is a big difference in, in that experience level. Customers these days, they want low-impact product services, so they don't want businesses that have created loads of carbon footprint and, and damaged the environment. They want businesses that they can trust in terms of the quality of the food and, and, and the provenance of the food. They want businesses that give back to their community, um, whether that's through social initiatives, um, you know, dinners for the homeless, or um, employing underprivileged people within their restaurants or donating profits to to good causes. You know, the big boom in, in veganism and vegetarianism at the moment, I, I haven't got the stats to hand, but there's a huge increase in the number of people looking to live or living a vegan or vegetarian lifestyle at the moment, even in traditional kind of meat-eating countries, even in the, you know, the bastion of, of beef and beer of Germany, you know, veganism is, is on the increase um, because people recognize that it's, it's healthier. People want healthier these days. It's better for the environment, which is more and more people are saying, I want, I want, I want to be a good citizen and, and my consumption is all part of that. Again, I've talked to a few landlords and said, well, well, what are you as landlords doing to inform the consumer of the initiatives that your tenants are delivering? You know, as, as a... As a consumer, sometimes it can be hard to make the right choice. You want to make the right choice, but the information isn't always there. And it's certainly not there in a nice, transparent, easily digestible format. Um, and that's something I think we as an industry, both the food service industry and also the real estate industry, can get much better at by saying, actually, this is what we're doing. This is why you should come to us, because we are good for our community. We are nice to our people. 
and we're good for you individually. You know, it's not, you know, this is fresh food, so and it's, it's vegetables, and it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's going to be good for you. Do you think that that demand for um, kind of like socially responsible uh, dining is that seen at, at in the inexpensive, you know, dining end too? Is that demand there for the quick service, or is that more at the middle and higher end restaurants that you see diners kind of wanting that? There are people that um, simply don't have the money to make that a priority in their spending habits. Um, so I think it will start at the higher end. Um, but actually, eating out is pretty democratic these days. Yeah, I mean, other than the kind of uh, the very very poorest, in certainly in the Western world, other than the very poorest. Um, you know, those on, on welfare or benefits. We all eat out pretty regularly now. But I think as it becomes more obvious to the world that we need to change our habits, it will become much more democratized and everyone will say, I don't care if you're, you know, the cheapest food brand around. You still shouldn't be serving me food in this horrible plastic because it doesn't need to be served in this horrible plastic and that's bad for the environment. Of course, I couldn't let Ken go without asking him, what good food has he eaten lately? I think, for me, the, one of the most exciting things I've eaten um, are, you know, and they're probably fairly common in the U.S., but they were quite new here. Um, uh, I've really enjoyed bao, the, the kind of um, the little uh, buns of fluffy goodness with, with kind of Asian flavors in them. Um, that's been, yeah, that, that's, that's something I've eaten quite a lot of this year. Um, so it has to be has to be up there in in the goodness stakes. I went to an amazing vegetarian restaurant, or is in, in fact it wasn't a, a restaurant. It was, I was there for a couple of days. It was a, it was a hotel based around one of one of their themes was was being good to yourself and, and, and stuff. So eating vegetarian vegetarian food for two days and as a meat eater, not falling over and starving to death because I couldn't eat meat for two days. That was kind of a I was worried about it. So I was going on a I'm going to expose myself, James. I was going on a yoga retreat, and and if if you look up my picture, and it'll be on jail, I do not like look like the kind of person that goes on yoga retreats. Um, I look like the person who goes on food service type stuff. Um, so so that I went there, and it was a vegetarian yoga retreat, and I really enjoyed eating vegetarian food for for two or three days. I opened up my world to some of the interesting flavors in vegetarian, and a lot of it was. Um, kind of Middle Eastern flavors um, and, and spices and fruits from that kind of region. So, so you know, there's some really interesting flavors that are, that are expanding quite rapidly. And, and we're seeing more and more in the mainstream spices and dried fruit flavors from the Middle East. Um, they're quite interesting and enjoyable. Mm, I'm hungry. So is, uh, is the new Global Food Trends report um, available to the public? Uh, I mean, the easiest way is probably just to, to get on Google and, and Google JLL Food Trends 2018. It should be the top uh, link on Google. Um, alternatively, if you want to hit me up um, on Twitter, at JLL Food underscore Ken, uh, and I can, uh, I can send you the link directly. Excellent, Ken. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. My conversation with Ken made me realize that despite all the new trends around technology, robots, Instagram, drones, 
at the end of the day, here's what we want. We want food that tastes good, and we want to eat it in an environment that gives us good feelings. And the most important thing we want is to share food with family and friends. We'll put a link to the Food Trends Report in the show notes of this episode. And coming very soon, we're going to be learning a lot more about that robot barista in San Francisco. It's called Cafe X, and I was just there in person a few weeks ago with the founder and CEO. He gave the JLL research team an insider's tour. You're not going to want to miss it. To make sure that you don't, you can subscribe to Where We Buy on the podcast app on your iPhone or on Spotify or any other podcast app you might use. I'm looking for you to be a part of this podcast. What's the greatest restaurant experience that you've ever had? Or heck, what's the greatest restaurant experience you had this month? Leave a message on the Where We Buy hotline and we'll use it on an upcoming show. Give us a call. The number is area code 602-633-4061. If you like this episode, there's a lot more like it. All of our past shows are at wherewebuy.show. We did a tour of the Las Vegas Strip that included Top Golf and the Coca-Cola Experience. That's episode 30. Episode 39, we went to the Nutella Cafe in Chicago. That was particularly delicious. We post uh, visits of retail sites on Instagram. You can follow me. It's J-A-M-C-O-O. So that's the first three of James and the first three of Cook. At J-A-M-C-O-O on Instagram. Our theme music is Run in the Night by the Good Lords under Creative Commons license.